He's with us, amen? Yes. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast all your care. Actually, the word in the Greek is anxiety. You're to cast all your anxiety on him. So I guess Christians 2,000 years ago suffered from anxiety. They were to take their anxiety and they were to roll it right over to him. The beauty of this thing, call our walk with God, is that Jesus isn't going to run and walk for us. Okay, we got to walk, we got to run, but he's going to walk and run with us. And when we have him, he'll never leave us or what? Forsake us. Amen. Father, answer every cry of every heart here today. We thank you, Lord, that you're with them in the journey. You're working miraculously in their life, and your answer is coming to them in Jesus' name. And everybody be seated. Said amen. Amen. Be seated. Andre and Karen, why don't you come on up here? Happy 4th of July, everybody. I guess it's our 245th anniversary as a nation. Let's just give America a clap on that. Amen. Amen. A bunch of students from Georgetown University were interviewed, and they were embarrassed for our country. And yet we have thousands in the, in the south border who give their right arm to be Americans. It's something to say about our nation. Everyone's lined up to get in, and no one's lined up to get out. Amen? So I'm going to celebrate its birthday today and uh, celebrate it big and uh, just know that uh, this is, there's no other greater nation under the earth, and we've had the great privilege not the right. We've had the great privilege of being a part of this and being, and being blessed to be able to do what we do in fulfilling the Great Commission. You may not know this. America is the number one sender of missionaries around the world, and it's the number one supplier of, of mission work around the world. So there's a spiritual element to this whole thing. Well, this summer, we got, I, I like, don't like just holding microphones. I'm going to give it to them in a second, but this summer, we've had a lot of our global workers coming back. Last week, you heard from Alessandro and Marcia, who are still with us today in worship. They're back there doing great. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, I, I appeal to you to be sowing into them. We'll be taking offerings throughout the summer. The provosts have come back from Thailand and uh, be with us. They're going to be with us all summer. and We're going to be sowing a, a, an offering before they leave to Thailand and they go back. But... Um, yeah, they, they came, they went to Thailand under a, a unique circumstance with their eldership. I'll never forget the discussion. They were in their mid-60s, and we're going to go to Thailand to plant churches way up in the north and, and unreached people groups. And, and uh, you know, so the elders made me do a few things. We're going to send them out. We had to talk with their kids. Their kids th- thought that their parents were in their right mind going. I had to have Andre write a letter to the elders. I'm in full, you know, I was in complete control of my senses and I realize that I might die on the mission field. So I know what I'm getting myself into. But if you're kind of bored with life, this is what you ought to do. Just go find 30,000 people with no believers around and plant a few churches. It'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Amen. So they're back here. Nation shut down because of COVID. They thought it was a good time to regroup here before things open back up in Thailand. So let's welcome Andre and Karen as they come back to us on, on this leave. not know where Thailand is. It's located down south of China, uh, surrounded by Burma, Myanmar, they call now, uh, Laos and Cambodia. And uh, we, we moved to the northeast region of Thailand, which is uh, into the province of Sisaget. And this is the most unreached province that we could find. 
And so that's why we picked that. And then the next slide, you'll see there's uh, six districts uh, that were considered uh, the most unreached districts in, in that province. And the, and the population is is just a little bit bigger than uh, about a third bigger than than the city of Vancouver, and the size is almost uh, two thirds of the size of the of Clark County. And phase one was when we arrived there in uh, October two thousand and nineteen, was to find out what God was already doing when we before we got there, and. And then no, to no, find, uh, you know, who he might be preparing for us as far as if there was any believers that were already there. And so that we could train them to uh, have a disciple-making lifestyle, to make disciples, to multiply, and plant churches. So in Udonghong Pisai, we found that there was a small church with Korean missionaries. And um, they have about 16 believers there, all from Bangkok that were transplanted. And nobody were, uh, is from, was made believers there. And the wife of the missionary, she found out that we were doing, working in villages of planting house churches in villages, which she was very interested. And now she's been coming to uh, get uh, coaching with us and in, in learning how to use our materials and she's planted two house churches since then uh, besides the, the, the town church that they work at. Next person is Monachai and we've actually known Monachai for about five years of us going back on little little trips. And Monachai is, is from a he actually lives in the city but he's, he's he was born and raised in Hui Top Tun district where there's 42 thousand people and only one believer and so uh, we worked with him and started training him and, and then uh, he did a, a, a baptism and after a number of months here and as this I mentioned earlier with the last service that this this man uh, we believe in immersion baptism but he had a uh, some bandage on his foot that he couldn't get wet so we had to improvise here yeah. And then in the, in the area, one day I was out with Monachai, and we were driving through the village and looking for people to, uh, to share the gospel with, and nobody was around. And he said, oh, I know there's people. There always got to be somebody at the temples. So we went to the temple, and we met the uh, monk. Uh, this, this, man, this monk here, he's actually an abbot, and he oversees uh, all the monks, all the temples in, in that district. And I started meeting with him, and he liked to, you know, I asked him a lot of questions about Buddhism, and he shared with me the five laws of Buddhism. And when he finished, I looked at him all, you know, I've broken every one of these laws. But then one day I, I met the, the risen Savior. I told him about uh, that, and uh, he was uh, very excited about it. And then he says, you know, I'm a really good Buddhist then. So he said, I wanted to show you how to meditate. So he had me sit down one day, put my hands like this, and I was sitting there, and he's like, okay, I want you to sit for five minutes and just, just let your mind be blank or whatever. And so I'm like praying in tongues for him. And, and when those five minutes is up, uh, before it's up, I open my eyes and I see he's taking pictures of me. And so 
uh, a little bit later, I go back to the temple, and, and there's some people there, and they say, oh, we sing you, you're like the foreigner that, that this uh, monk has been leading to, to, to Buddhism. <laughs> but anyways, I've been meeting with him on a regular basis, and after about seven, eight conversations, one day he asked me, he says, you know, I don't know anything about Jesus, so can you tell me where is he born, what, tell me about him, and all that, and so I did. And uh, we're still meeting together. So. And Andre's recorded all these, all his conversations with the Buddhist monk and is sharing them with our team who are now listening to them and getting more insight into Buddhism in our area. Well. Okay. So, uh, now this, uh, another person there is about Lai. Okay, so this is Lai and two, two other ladies that live in town with their, um, she's being trained by us to um, evangelize in her area. And um, she actually has a house church in her home, and they're still meeting today. Yeah, they, they, they had, uh, all three of these had come to faith in Bangkok. They worked together, and they came back to live in, in the village that they're from. And now uh, we started a, a house church with them. And they're learning to do uh, pastoral work. We're doing training with them. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is um, Lai sharing the gospel with one of her neighbor ladies. Isn't it amazing how she can sit? <laughs> She's 90. Wow. Yes. Pictures. Oh, next picture. And while um, Andre's, and Andre's sharing the gospel with the older, the older generation, then I, if there's any children around, I'll, I'll get to share with them. And we talk and we color and we just have fun together. And they get to know a little bit about Jesus, too. Nice. <laughs> okay, next picture is this uh, Mr. Rock, and he, he's a lawyer. Uh, I spent a number of months working with him and sharing, and one day I was feeling this. It was a time that we were ready to give him a kind of an extended presentation that he had to make a choice if he's really going to follow the Lord, get baptized or not. And I felt like, oh, this ought to be great opportunity if I had someone with me that I was training. I don't like to do things without someone else. And I remember a pastor had told me about a, a couple that live in the same district, uh, district of Posey, Sawan. And, and uh, I said to Karen, I said, you know, we should have to call and see if we can find these people and take them with us. And so I, she said, well, let's stop the car. I don't want you on the cell phone when the car's driving, you know, so stopped inside of the road and all of a sudden you know just as I was ready to call the phone rang and it was that pastor and he told us where to find this couple we found them in the market because they worked there and uh, I took one of them to, and the next he met here over to to the village and he would share the scriptures that I would give him to share and then when afterwards we went to talk and he says you know we've been praying for someone to come and help us to reach our district. Now, they're the only two believers in this district of 23,700 people. And, and they, they came to faith in a city, not in a village. So now we're training them. They, they were living together. They weren't married. Um, we shared some scriptures with them that we just happened to be sharing, and they, they got married, and they're yeah. happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> I said, was there anything hinder you to, to get married and go down and... and uh, they said, no, nothing to hinder us. So we went ahead and did it that day and had a little celebration. Now, they, um, 
uh, have now a house church. It, yep, they they have a house church in their in their home. They're evangelizing. We taught them how to train uh, using these posters. Uh -huh. And then the next picture, we there we meet with them. This is kind of a strange place, but it's right out there under a temple. These are public places you can go to meet, and we're doing our uh, pastoral training materials with them. And it's, yep. Uh, and uh, then I get to connect with the ladies in, in our little village. Our little village is just one street, and most of the ladies there, most of the people are government, have been government workers. And on Tuesdays or Thursdays, like and I cook, and we share with our village, and it, it's just fun. And I talked with her yesterday, and she was missing the sweets. <laughs> she comes over and has dinner at our house almost every night. And when she does, I pull out my lessons and try them out on her. <laughs> so. And this is part of the group that, that meets in the evening. Every evening we just meet and sit and talk. And there's usually three to seven, eight ladies that talk. Yeah. So for our next phase, which we, when we go back, is that we want to train these uh, village churches, the two village churches that we have now, to make disciples in new villages. And then train those new disciples to lead a village church. This is going to take a, more than three to five years, and so we, we, we need um, other missionaries. We feel like God wants to send other people to come and work with us because we're getting to an age where they will be pulling away. And so um, if God speaks to any of you or are interested of learning how to do this same kind of thing uh, to be able to initiate this process in, in new areas, Come to Thailand. Just, just let us know. <laughs> Experienced missionaries. We want to thank you for sending us, praying for us, and supporting us. We really appreciate you guys. They're going to be home. So, Karen, let's pray for Thailand right now. You know, it's really easy. You're bored with your life. Just find a place where there's no believers and just go parachute in there and get work started. I'm bored as a Christian. We've got plenty of places like this. They need workers. And say, so, well, they, they personally got saved for one week. They're going to make a pastor out of them. That's what you do when you have no one else. Well, you've got to be more mature. Well, you don't have time. We've got to make you mature as fast as we can make you mature because this is what happens, harvest around the world. Stretch your hands towards the provost. We thank you for their life. We thank you for their example. We thank you, Lord that in Romans 12, they have offered themselves as a living sacrifice, even in ages where others are just kind of reclining. They've wanted to put their shoulder to the plow and preach the gospel where the gospel has not been preached. And we thank you, Lord. They're not laying on another man's foundation, but they're laying on a foundation that's fresh in the lives of people. We pray for a great breakout of the spirit in Thailand, bringing down of idols, and Lord God, the breaking even of the spirit of Buddhism over the place and superstition and fear. We break this in Jesus' name, and we pray for a great harvest in Thailand. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. God bless. Let's tell the provost once again we love them, and they're going to be around all summer. So you can uh, see them. And once again, I would like to, to just say happy fourth to everybody, and I hope that you find something healthy to eat today besides hot dogs.
what everyone's going to be eating. Also, before I get started, I'd like to introduce two very, very special friends of mine are visiting with us. They, they, uh, Dave and Wendy Veach, uh, their, their firstborn son, married my firstborn daughter. And, uh, but what's interesting with Dave and Wendy is Dave and I went to Central together. I'm a little bit older than him. I've always been his elder. And, uh, but uh, we both got saved in, in 1976. He may, have, he may have gotten saved in 75, a few months before me. And uh, we became connected in the faith, but we kept losing each other. You know, we kept on our separate paths. One time I was hiking with five kids way up in the Cascade Mountains. I mean, I'm in the deep part of the Cascades. Who did I run into? I ran into Dave and another guy, and we spent the night by a mountain lake and talking about the things of God all night. And uh, I'll never forget, he was drinking a good six-pack of Brutskis, and these kids go, we got to get these guys saved. Well, he is saved. He is saved. <laughs> he is saved. But uh, David uh, followed the same path that I have. We became public school teachers, and he ended up teaching right near where I ended up teaching, and we became Christian school teachers, and we both became youth pastors, and we both became senior pastors, and we both have leadership and in our respected tribes that we've been in, MFI with me, Foursquare with David, he was the director over of a whole region of Washington into Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and that whole section there you know, of, of churches and just stepped out of that responsibility. But the strange thing is that without knowing it, we both got married on the same day, the same hour, and the same year. So we, our lives parallel each other. We got married like that. And so our big joke is when the first one of us dies, the griper is coming for the next one. <laughs> Amen. Would you guys stand up? We love them very much. And, uh, and uh, just welcome to City Harvest Church. And we're going on a road trip with them. After I'm done with this sermon, I'm on vacation. And uh, I thank you for those who sent letters on the ratification of the Constitution and on the Yellow House. Officially, from this point on, you're going to write those letters to Pastor Peter or Bill Scheidler and let them answer those things. I'm done. I'm going on vacation, and we're going to go on a road trip with the, with the Veaches, and it's going to be exciting. Amen. It's just good to party sometimes, isn't it? We are starting a, a new series today uh, entitled A Lifestyle of Prayer. And... Uh, Lifestyle means it describes how someone lives. Maybe they have a lifestyle of traveling. Maybe they have a lifestyle of gardening. They have a lifestyle of being a volunteer and all sorts of things around the city. It's their lifestyle. A lifestyle, they go to every movie that's in the movie theater. They're just movie nerds, and they want to do it. It's their lifestyle. Well, when we deal with a lifestyle of prayer, we're talking about how do we appropriate prayer in the routines of our life. And when we do, how do we actually share in prayer? How do we pray practically when we do that? And you're going to be hearing from different leaders on this series and what they do in prayer. I know Jan Stahl, who runs our school of prayer on uh, first Saturdays of every month. She's got a whole tool chest of different types of prayers, and other people are going to be sharing how they approach prayer. My assignment is not that. My assignment in this series is really kind of launching this series by laying a theological foundation concerning this thing called prayer. Now, you would agree with me that prayer is a mysterious thing. It is very mysterious. That If I interviewed everybody here, you would have a great story of how you believed God for something and you contended and God broke through and brought a great answer to prayer. I'm sure we got miracle story of everyone who's here about answers to prayer. At the same time, you'll have other 
prayer stories that you prayed your guts out. You did what uh, Mark Batterson said in The Circle Maker. You, you cried out until you had no more tear ducts, and you called out till you had no more voice, and you, you were knocking on a door till you had no more skin on your knuckles, but yet something didn't break through. You got an unanswered prayer. Now, there is a part to this where just because answer has not arrived doesn't mean answer is not coming. Bill Scheidler told me after the first service that his daughter, Jenny, who pastors in South Africa, she had a physical condition for 17 years that she and James, her husband, contended for. Bill and Joanne prayed for for 17 years. And just recently, just she was just seeking the Lord, just seeking the Lord, and God miraculously healed her of this condition after 17 years. So sometimes some answers are on their way, and it's snail mail. Okay, but it's coming. It's coming. But so we have all these mysterious things that takes place in prayer. This is why it's so important that when we do pray, we really need to understand God's nature and God's will, and especially in God's nature. Well, Paul said this, who can separate us from the love of God? What's the answer to that? The answer is nothing, right? Okay, guys, you're going to have to really preach back to me because I'm getting ready to go on vacation. The answer is nothing, amen? Yeah, get a little excited. You can even stand up and shout back to me, stare me down, okay? We're going to get a little stirred up today in a 12 noon service on July 4th. Okay, but we're here. We're going to firecracker this thing up. Come on, we, 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 uh, we, God loves us. Nothing's going to separate us from his love. And then God's good. He's out for what is best for you and I. We, we, not only, we not, do not always think it's best. We don't always think it's good. But how people know that God knows more what you need than you know what you need? Amen. Okay, so how many people would say in that because God's all-knowing and you and I are not very knowing that sometimes some of our prayers are rather stupid when we're praying them to God as he's looking down knowing the whole picture of things. So this whole thing, he is good and he does love us and he wants to do great things in our life. And so all situations have this confidence that, that it, the outcome is really in the hands of God. And because he's good, he's going to land this outcome the way he thinks is best and we can trust in that. So let, I want to start off today just taking the book of James, because James talks a lot about prayer in this particular section. I want to use this as the text for my sermon. And James says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church <clears throat> to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All right, so what is James telling us about prayer? Just break this down very quickly. First, we're to pray when we face life difficulties. We just did that. We prayed our anxiety, we prayed our fear, we prayed our frustration, we prayed uh, for this wall we're facing, we need a breakthrough. We, we take life situations and we cast them on God. We all agree that life has some curveballs, right? We all agree that we, at, at times life doesn't go our way. Can I hear an amen on that? Yeah, we, all, we all agree that it, it, life sometimes has a lot of tribulation in it. Jesus said that in John 16, In the world, you will have tribulation. But then he said, what did he say? Be of good what? Cheer. 
cheer, for I have overcome the world. So we're going to, in these things, we, we lift up prayer. Are you in trouble? Let them pray. What else did he say? <clears throat> he says, well, if you're happy, I want you to sing songs. And so what he's talking about is praise is to come from a heart of joy because of who God is. Doesn't matter, you know, what circumstances are, but your heart is full of who God is. You're consumed with who he is. He doesn't want you to worship him with morbidity. Doesn't matter what you're going through. He doesn't want you to, to worship him in a bitterness of soul. He wants you to rejoice. Paul, if you looked at him as a prayer warrior, as a prayer, Paul was a preacher. Paul was a missioner. I can call him and make up my own word here. And Paul was a prayer. <clears throat> he prayed always. Look at his epistles. He prayed all the time. All the time. <clears throat> he was praying. I'm sorry for my voice. I probably do need a glass of water, somebody. But, uh, and uh, he was praying all the time. But he was always praying with thanksgiving. He was always praying with rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord what? Always. Oh, he sees in prison. He and Silas have their backs whipped. They're in stocks. It's midnight. They're in a kind of a dungeon-type prison. You know, Saul go, Paul goes, hey, let's sing that song. Remember that hymn we sang, when our backs are whipped and we're full of chains? Okay, let's just start singing this song. It's a good one. God is good. God is good. God is good. And they started worshiping God. That's probably how it happened. God was so impressed with their attitude, he shook the place, okay? And he started revival. Of course, he already sent Paul there to start a revival. God was already ahead of him. Okay, he was already at work in Macedonia. The third thing is this. We are to resist evil against us through prayer. Look at this. If, if, if you are sick, you're to call the elders of the church. In other words, some people would say, well, well, well maybe God's will that I have this sickness. It, maybe God, God wants me to suffer, That's the, you know, so I need to possibly do this. <clears throat> let's, do, let's, let's grab a hold of the nature of God. God hates evil. Not just evil in morality or immorality. He hates evil that comes against you and evil that comes against me. <clears throat> he hates poverty. I've never seen anything come good out of poverty. There's a lot of stress. Well, you know, God's just, you know, they're just poor, you know. There's a stress will be in poor. I've been poor. He, does, he, hates, he hates sickness. He hates persecution. He hates injustice. He hates that. Now, God will use what he hates to bring about his purpose without being responsible for it. But he still hates evil. It's to, evil's to be resisted. It is always to be resisted. Even though God may ordain to use it in some way. Neil, Neil Anderson in his book, Bondage Breaker, in that particular book, uh, he starts off with a girl, Biola, is counseling. <clears throat> she comes in with, with MS or MS symptoms. And so questioning her and doing kind of an introductory survey, he asked her, when did that uh, condition of symptoms start? And she said, well, it's when I prayed this prayer. What was, what was the, oh, water arrived. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you gave it. <clears throat> I was thinking to myself, did anybody hear me? Was that my wife? You know, you always come through, so you're faithful. You're never too late. You're right on time. She says, it happened to me when I prayed this prayer. Well, what prayer did you pray? Well, I was reading about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, he had this thorn in his flesh, and it humbled him because of all the revelations he had. And he says, well, Paul prayed for that to be removed. He didn't 
embrace it as something good. He said it came from Satan. You, you welcomed that evil into your life. Let's renounce it now. And as they prayed this renouncing prayer, it, all the symptoms went away out of her body. So we are to resist evil, <clears throat> even though God didn't remove evil from Paul, whatever the thorn was. He just said, my grace is sufficient. And there are times when he <clears throat> allows us to go through circumstances where there's no change because his grace is sustaining us in it. James also tells us this, that local church government has authority in prayer. Call for the elders. Notice he says elders, not elder. You may say, well, you know, why do they put that in? All believers have authority. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Yeah, but he invests authority in the church. And in the church, authority comes through a plurality, excuse me, I can talk, of leaders called an eldership, but she creates a government that represents God to the people. And God backs the authority of the church. When we as a church pray in agreement, come on, Matthew 18, 20 says, he backs the authority of the church. The church has authority over that thing. James says that. The thing James says about prayer here is that God only answers prayer offered in faith. He says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, you can't manipulate God with faith. But you've got to have faith to get answers to prayer. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is, he exists, and that he is a what? He is a rewarder. You've got to believe that if you're going to get something called an answer to prayer when you come to God. The sixth thing James tells us is that God brings transformation through prayer. If he's committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Now, you can go two ways on that. You go one way, God just heals them, with a statement, I not only healed you, but I'm forgiving you. Yeah, it's like the man lowered through the ceiling with his four buddies in Mark chapter 2. The guy didn't ask Jesus to forgive him of his sins. Jesus just looked at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the Pharisees got all ticked off. Who can forgive sins? But God says, yeah, you're absolutely right. So what's easier to say? <laughs> be forgiven or be healed. Okay, be healed. Okay, only God can do that. Okay, therefore I can forgive. But, but the issue is Jesus said you're forgiven first. That was interesting. The guy wasn't asking for forgiveness, but Jesus offered forgiveness. Or it can be you confess your sins one to another, and so you might be healed. Is that sin sometimes blocks answers to prayer. We got to understand that. We're so busy just trying to do signs and wonders, we, we forget that God may be dealing with a person in an area they're not repenting in their life. Naaman had to dip in the Jordan River seven times. That was the condition. Now, Naaman was Syrian. He wouldn't want to dip in the Jordan and belong to Israel's river. He didn't want to do that. God wanted to deal with his pride. I'll deal with your pride. I'll heal your leprosy. And he did. Sometimes God wants to deal something in our heart. And so he allows that to take place. He wants us to get realignment, and all of a sudden there's a breakthrough in healing. So prayer brings transformation. And lastly, James just says it's powerful and it's effective. In all its mystery, I'm going to tell you something, prayer moves things. It does things. It changes atmospheres. It changes situations. It shakes cities. It rocks churches. Come on, prayer works. So Looking at this, let's, let's go on now. And why do we struggle with a lifestyle of prayer? We're starting a series, and you may think, I hate these prayer series. I just feel so bad about my prayer life. How many people have struggled with your prayer life? You've kind of like, ah, I just struggle. It's just, come on, it, it's prayer, every believer struggles with this thing. And even, even people who pray a lot, they struggle with this thing called prayer. And the devil beats us over the head with it. 
So why do we struggle? Well, the first is that we struggle because we suffer from condemnation. We feel rejected because of our sin or weakness or our performance. And the enemy is always there to accuse us. This is why condemnation is such a tool to destroy the believer. And it comes straight from the pit of hell because it will keep you back from approaching God who loves you. Now, one thing I use in prayer, I'll just bring you into my own prayer closet. I don't quote it every time I pray, pray but I can almost say 50% of the time I quote this when I pray. And it's Romans 3.24. It's one of my favorite verses. We're justified, you know, verse 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we, we stop there. In verse 24, it says, being justified, being acquitted from guilt. Through, without, you see, being justified freely without any cost to you and me. Through what? Through the redemption, through what Jesus did on the cross, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So I just quote that to God. I'm coming without cost to myself because of what your son has done. I can enter into the very holy place. Hebrews 10, 19 tells us that. We enter the holiness through the blood of Jesus. That's how we get to the presence of God. Your ticket on the train is the blood of Jesus. Your ticket on the plane is the blood of Jesus. Your ticket to the presence of God is the blood of Jesus. I don't care how bad you are or how broken you are. Okay, God loves you, and he wants to work mightily. I've told you the story before that when I was a young teacher, I was wrestling with some sin in my life, and I was wailing on a school morning at about 7 a.m. What a rotten sinner I was, wailing before the presence of God. I mean, I was one mush ball of tears. And I got my, I would get to school. I lived across the street from the high school. I got a shower, got dressed real quick. I got to get to class. I got a knock on my door before I could get out. There was a young lady. She actually tried to make contact with us here last year. She's doing, still doing well. And her name was Carla Barkley. And she said, Mr. McGregor, they used to call me that because I was a teacher. And uh, Mr. McGregor, I've come here this morning to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we'll sit down. Laid hands on her. She started speaking in tongues. The Spirit of God came on her, and we walked to school together. The issue is condemnation will destroy your prayer life. So you've got to understand you're, you're saved by grace. Amen? So the blood of Jesus gives us the entrance. Comparison. You, you think other people pray better than you because they use fancy words. You think God's impressed with fa- fancy words? Think the God of the universe who knows all the languages and even beyond that, Okay, is impressed with our limited vocabulary, even if we sound like we're a geek. Okay, doesn't matter. Okay, it's faith that moves the heart of God. It's purity, it's sincerity, it's brokenness that moves the heart of God. Comparison keeps us back. What else? Clutter keeps us back. Our mind and our schedule is filled with stuff that prevents us many times from praying. Even I even have 10 minutes of prayer I want to put there, and I, I got a bunch of things on my mind I got to do that day. How many people have suffered like me that way? Yeah, you're just thinking of this, thinking of that, thinking of that, and you're cluttered. Or you don't have enough time in a 24-hour schedule to fit a thing called prayer. Yeah, you don't have time to do that. You guys are early. That's okay. Mark, just sit down, relax, and how you doing? This is the best guy here, the best guy. Amen. Good. I lo- love this guy. I love this guy. Okay. Amen. Clutter. <laughs> Clutter. Sometimes... Do something extra for a week. We spend more time. Just say, you know, this day I'm going to spend more time. Maybe I can't do it every day, but I'm just going to spend some Jesus time. Just make it kind of long. Make it an appointment. Just trying to stretch your prayer life. 
going on, confidence. You just instinctively can just do your own thing. And you, I got this. I got this. You ever said that? I got this. I know what to do. I got instinct. I can do this. You know, here's the issue. I can preach at the drop of a hat. I preach thousands of sermons. That doesn't mean they're going to be too effective. It doesn't mean God's going to anoint me. So confidence can destroy that. Control. Some people don't pray because they, they want to control their lives. And they don't want a Gethsemane type of prayer. Let this cup. I don't want to have a cup in my hand. Okay, that I got a drink. I don't want to do Romans 12, verse 1, okay, and, and, and that uh, I want to offer myself as a living sacrifice. I don't, I'm afraid what God's going to ask me to do, okay? We sing that song, I surrender all, I surrender all. That's a, that's a, a, a very pricely song, okay? Surrender all. I always love young people. They're 20 years old. I'm just going to sell out for Jesus. I'm going to sell all for Jesus. I'm excited about that because at 20, they have nothing to sell. <laughs> Confusion. You know, I prayed. I didn't pray long enough. I prayed this. It didn't get answered. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't sound right. I didn't pray it right. I, I looped. How many people have ever looped in prayer? Well, you found yourself praying the same thing over and over and over again. You're just like a broken record. You just, how many people have fallen asleep in prayer? Uh, Jake, good. I appreciate your first hand up. Okay, good. Confusion. That God ain't going to answer because it was, wasn't quite right. And the last is callousness. And uh, we, we, we get wounded faith. We get what I call faith atrophy. You know, <clears throat> I remember when, when I, I got saved, I just got done playing college football for four years. And, and the whole game of football for eight years of my life was a, was a huge idol and uh, meant everything to me in a, in a positive way, but it still, it was wrong. And I couldn't, for 20 years, lift a weight. I couldn't go into a gym. If I tried to, I gave up in a day. I just, I just could not do it. And then I turned into a Pillsbury doughboy, and, and uh, everyone was worried that I was going to die of a heart attack. And one lady called me up and said, Pastor Bob, I saw you in a vision. I said, what was it? And well, you were in a brown suit in front of everybody and grabbed your chest and fell over in the front row. I said, well, what, do you, what does that mean? She goes, I don't know. It's your vision. <laughs> but uh, people are just really, really worried about my health and strokes and this and that. And I said, I'm really being a bad steward. So I started, I started training again, and I kept it up for the next 25 years. But, but, but the issue is, when I started, it was like a little five-pound dumbbell, like, eh, 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 eh. I, I wasn't anything impressive in the gym because my muscles had not been used and they had suffered atrophy. Now, a lot of people, their faith is that way. They got faith atrophy. And how do you get your atrophy going in reverse? You got to start working your faith muscle. It may be unimpressive at the beginning, but you got to start working it. All right, now, I'm going to hold my band up here for a few minutes just because I want to just end this by tackling just a few tough questions on prayer, just pr questions that I get as a pastor. Like, God, if God is sovereign and, and will bring about his will, then why pray? If he's in control, which God is in control because he's the creator and he's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful in control of everything he's created— Okay, then why does he need us to pray if he's got a plan and he's bringing it all to pass? Great question you're asking there. So I wasn't asking that question. Not a lot of people do. Well, here's the issue. God's not only in control of bringing everything to pass, 
but God is also in control of the way he's going to bring everything to pass. And one of those ways, he's going, by his grace, is going to put a burden on your heart to call out to God to bring to pass what he's going to bring out. Well, can I resist that? Sure you can. I think you can resist grace. Some of my Calvinist friends don't think that, but I think you can. I think you can salt the spirit of grace. You can, you can quench the spirit. He'll just find someone else to put a great burden on their heart to pray that. But he's not going to work around his church. He's going to work through his church. So he's tied his purpose to you and I. That's a great privilege and a great honor. Amen. So he doesn't control just the outcome. He also controls how he's going to bring the outcome, which involves you and me. That brings the next question then. Why does God fulfill his will in and through the prayers of his people? Why does he do that? Because we know that Jesus defeats Satan on the cross and all his agendas and schemes and, and tactics to destroy people's lives. He frees us from that because God now can enter the scene and he'll defeat him. He's defeated him on the cross, but he wants the church to defeat Satan. Romans 16, 20, Paul said, God is going to quickly put Satan under your feet. He wants you and I to join him in that battle to win that. They say in, in World War II, D-Day determined the outcome of the war. But from June 6, 1945 to V-E Day was some of the most intense fighting in Europe's campaign but that all the war was already determined. That's the way it is. Cross determines the outcome, but we still got to fight the battles. And he wants you and I to fight the battles because he's got an eternal business called God and sons, God and daughters. And he wants us to join in that, in that particular victory. So that's why he ties it to you and I. It's a great honor. And when we think, well, we're just sons, we're just not sons, a little bedroom over there. We're sons that are joint heirs with Jesus. That's just meditate on that thing for a while. Number three is this. Does God respond to all prayers of faith? Well, the answer to that is no. In other words, he didn't move the cup from Jesus in the garden. He didn't take the thorn out of Paul's side. He didn't heal Timothy of his often infirmities. Paul's given him medical instructions. He doesn't heal Trophimus in this place called Miletus. Paul has to leave him there sick. He doesn't deliver James from martyrdom even though he delivered Peter. A lot of faith going up for James. Same faith was going up for Peter. But that, notice what happened. Now, here's the issue. If, is this, is that, no, faith does not guarantee you get an answer to prayer, but without faith, you get no answer to prayer. So don't say, well, then I'm not going to do the faith program. You better do the faith program because you're going to get no answers to prayer. How many people would get, like to get a lot of answers to prayer versus getting no answers to prayer? We better have faith. Okay, faith is required. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, we rest in that. A lot of times people don't want, they think that's unbelief, but it's not unbelief to say, God, you are in control. Okay, the fourth thing is this. Can, can prayer change God's mind? Well, the answer to that theologically is no, because you're saying that God can improve on himself. Like, Lord, I want you to go do this, and I really need you to do this. And God's in heaven going, I, I, I never thought of that. I'm going to add that to these things i got to learn about human beings and what they need. You can't add to God, okay? You can't improve him. He's not up in heaven going, oh, wow, not, I didn't think of that. So you cannot change God's mind. You can't change situations. It's not the same. 
God has made up his mind what he's going to do, but situations can be affected by your particular prayer. We see in this in, in Exodus 32, 14, God wanted to take the whole nation of Israel out. Remember when they did the golden calf boogie woogie? Okay, he was going to take the whole nation out. And he told Moses and he said, listen, I'll start new with you. We'll take care of these two, three million people. We'll take them out and we'll start fresh with you. Of course, Moses intercedes and God says, no, I'll relent. And the word in the Hebrew means that I'll have pity on them. Now, here's the issue. God still judged them like no one's business. Okay, he just, Moses' prayer tempered the situation. Didn't change God's will. They were going to get judged for what they did. That did not change God's mind. But it tempered it. You say, well, what, it says that God relented of bringing wrath on Nineveh when Jonah preached to him. He did. But he also promised in Jeremiah 18, 8, that, that he would, um, that if anybody repent, he would show mercy. He was consistent with his nature. He didn't change God's mind at all about repentance. He knows if they repented, he would, he would bring restoration to that particular person. It's already a part of who he is. The, the next question, is it praying, is praying if it is your will, unbelief? And people heard people say, if you pray that way, you don't have faith. Okay, just me. All right. Okay. This is my world. No, here's the issue. When you're praying, God, if this is your will, you're, you're, you're acknowledging a few things. One, that God, there is a God. He exists. You're, you're acknowledging that God is in control of all things. He's all powerful. Okay. And you're acknowledging that God is controlling an outcome, which will ultimately benefit his will and you. Now, that is not the posture of an atheist. That's just acknowledging who God is. It's faith. I remember when we, we were going to buy a house that my daughter right here, Leslie, now lives in. It's a long story on how that happened. But uh, in those days, back in 1985, Sue and I, because of all the money we were making and the interest rates, we qualified for, i never forget getting qualified, for a $39,000 loan at 13% interest, 1985. Well, it's oh, wow, right, that's right, Simon, oh, wow. <laughs> and yet we found a house. Found a house built in 1913 that had four bedrooms and a bath and uh, a kitchen nook, and Sue just loved it because she saw the cracker of the boxes, others that we qualified for, and it wasn't good. And so we, we bidded for this thing, and it was first come, first serve, and we were in second place. Now what do you do? So I said, Lord, I said, you know, Sue just loves this house, Lord. She loves this house. And uh, I don't want to pray this other party not get it and just pray, you know, just, you know, a curse on them. I, I want them to be blessed. But if it's your will that we get this house, then I want them to remove themselves from the running and I want us to get into first place. 24 hours later, I get a phone call from the realtor that the people ahead of you removed themselves from the, from the bidding, and it's yours. It's okay sometimes to pray if it's your will. I hear wonderful things. What is that? God is saying that's a great story. Okay. Why, why pray with fervency? It says the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, fervency matches the situation. It matches the seriousness of it. You're carrying the burden of God. And if it's like cancer, or persecution, or something's coming against the finance, it could ruin somebody. You're digging in with everything you got because you're feeling the burden of God. Now, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't, yes, 
Yes, yes, I know it's favorable. All right. You wouldn't. You wouldn't pray fervency, you know, about Disneyland. You wouldn't be like, Lord, I'm in travail about getting us to Disneyland. You wouldn't pray that way because it really doesn't match the situation. You don't need to do that. You say, Lord, we could like to go to Disneyland. We'd be nice if you open the door for that to take place. So lastly, can I pray what seems to be selfish prayer? I mean, God is busy with a lot of things. He's busy with the Russians. He's busy with the Chinese. He's busy with COVID. He doesn't have time to listen to something I might need. You just don't want to bother him. You know, I've been on the streets of this city many times. And we're just out here today praying for you, praying for people. I just want to know that God loves you. And can we, uh, can we pray with you about anything? No, 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 I'm fine. God has a lot of bigger problems. We've got a lot of bigger problems. That's what unbelievers say. God has bigger problems. People who believe, believe we can cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. We built our house, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of building our home, God spoke to me about starting this church. And uh, we built the home and got in, and here I am getting ready to lose my job because I'm going to start a church. And uh, we got all these people gathering in our living room, and they're, our, our first core of people were great givers. And I'm thinking they're giving out of their heart. They believe in what we want to do. And here I am, and I got a mortgage here, and I mean, I'm stressing them out. And I said, Lord, can we really keep this? Can we really keep this? That was my prayer. Is it your will that we keep this house? Now, let's, you know, say God has a lot of bigger issues to deal with than my house. About three weeks later, after I prayed that for over and over and over again, we were asked to go over to Bible Temple, a church that sent us out, and get prayed for by a lady by the name of Cindy Jacobs. We get in there, grab our daughters. We're all in shorts and just enjoying the summer. And she, she lays hands on us, and she looks at Sue immediately, right out of the gate. She says, I see a vision. I see a, a picture of a, of a beautiful house on land. And God knows that you love animals, and he's giving you the desires of your heart. Three years prior, Sue had received a word from Jude Fuquay, you have built the house of God. Now God wants to build you a house. And I felt God speak to me, build Sue a house. For her faithfulness. You know, God is a good father, and he likes to give good things to his kids. And he's not so busy with China or with Putin or with COVID to not just take time to bless you. It's okay in the midst of all that we do to say, Lord, I have a kind of desire. If it's your will, let this happen. So I think it's great that we have a friend in Jesus. I think it's great we can throw all our care upon him. Amen? Lord, in this series, teach us to be reignited with a passion to pray. Reunited, Lord, with a heart to just spend time with you and to take a, a place where, Lord, we get to partner with you to bring about your plan and also cast our cares upon you in the midst of that because you're a great God who sustains us and strengthens us. And we thank you that you're good, your plan is good, and we're a great privilege to be called your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name.